Hands off to Jacob. Stutters to the right. Burst through the hole. 20. 25. 30. He's off to the races. Here in Seattle. Nobody's going to catch him. 25. 20. 10. Ball game. Bye bye, Josh. Not a huge surprise, but clearly one of the great comebacks. It came in a two-word statement, which is now just begging to have a Nike campaign built around it. Quote, unquote, I'm back. All right, here we go to Monday. You hear Josh Jacobs' highlights coming in there. We'll uh, get to Josh and his return. Knew it was going to happen the whole way, right? Uh, all we do is talk about it every day, uh, knowing that this was probably going to be settled. There wasn't going to be some season-long holdout. That hasn't worked in the past. And unfortunately, the players uh, really have no rights. So the only thing they can do, John, John Bontobel's in his company, uh, the only thing they can do is basically avoid as much of training camp as possible, which they should. Uh, you certainly don't want to get injured in some meaningless practice joint practice, or a game when you're on a one-year contract. So Josh Jacobs uh, boosted to around $12 million with incentives. Got to reach the incentives. But Jacobs is back, and football's back. Week zero. Week zero this weekend. That was cool. Kind of waking up on Saturday and then figuring out what all the games were and then uh, getting some pretty good games and some pretty good shows. We'll get to uh, one of our local hometown heroes, a high school kid who's playing at Southern Cal, Going off, but it was a cool weekend. Waking up. The game was at 1130, the first one. Must be nice. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, I was up a lot earlier. I was up at 630. Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. No, it was great. I was <laughs> I was jacked up way more than I should be. Um, betting football is frustrating and agonizing and absolutely fantastic. And like you said, like there were some pretty good things, and you get to see some blowouts, but you got to see some things that you wanted, right? Sam Hartman, first time in a Notre Dame uniform, all sorts of things. So I was just jazzed up because you just – now we're here. It's all downhill. Not like in a negative way, but it, like it just goes quick. You know, Now that we're here week zero, we're going to blink and we're going to be getting ready for a divisional round playoff game between the Indianapolis Colts, who are obviously hosting the Kansas City Chiefs coming up in like you know January. That's the uh, narrative on the Colts now? Yes. Okay. Yes. I, well, I retweeted an article. I don't know if you saw this. Anthony Richards had some weird quote. Where he's like, I know everybody wants me to win the Super Bowl my first year, but I don't know if I can. And I'm like, I don't think what? anybody thinks no, that. I'm like the most yeah. optimistic guy when it comes to you and your career. I don't even think that. You guys so. are like one of the five or seven worst teams in the NFL. Whoa. Uh, it's funny, uh, and we'll have our NFL predictions throughout this week, and then next week we make it official and have lots of money on the line. Uh, I was trying to think of why I was up at 6.30 on Saturday. Um yeah, we do the uh, UNLV All Access podcast on Saturday morning, so we taped that at yeah. 8 a.m., so I was getting up and uh, getting prepped for that one. Not trying to show off, but, uh, you know, I was up a little bit early. And I was actually, up before. I was up before. I was up before him. Now, you, you're you up, uh, I don't know what, I saw something today by, like, 6.15. I got up at 5.50, and I think you'd already sent an email about the show. That's right. I got a lot of stuff to do, man. We got to go. We got to grind. Well, you've got your morning NBA stuff. Uh, not in full effect right now, but uh, I know you get going early. So, yeah, football back this weekend. We'll get to some of the games because I definitely want to talk USC and San Jose State. Uh, there were four UNLV opponents playing. Two of them were playing each other. Uh, but I did want to get to some of the big college football news of the weekend. You saw that Arizona State kind of slipped in at the last minute. Oh, we got a postseason ban. Um, this is infuriating on so many fronts. I think. Mm-hmm. Your reaction? Uh, I would agree. Especially this close to the season. That's the part, right, where you're, you know, we get to go out to camp at UNLV. And watch how hard those guys work. And, yeah. and every single one of those players over at Arizona State were doing the exact same thing. They're at a really hot and hard summer. 
and then to do it the week before the regular season begins for your team after everything they've worked through. Oh, by the way, lying maybe to some freshmen who were coming in about you know, you, know, you knew you were probably going to do this. But having them work through all of that, and then at the end, game week's approaching, and you're like, hey, guys, everything you work for, uh, no bowl. Sorry. It's, uh, you know, we're going to self-impose this, and uh, thanks for working hard. I think it's abysmal timing. Arizona State opens with Southern Utah. We have the schedule somewhere. I'm trying to go off of memory. I don't have it in front of me. But to John's point, it sucks for the players. We'll mention some of the players because he slipped in a point about a freshman. Southern Utah? Yes. Okay. Correct. So, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if they're going to be super up for the first game, if they're going to be down. It blows. And let's go back in time because you remember when Herm Edwards got hired and he was going to be a CEO as deemed by Ray Anderson, the former agent, who was coming up with something that was going to revolutionize college football. You're never going to revolutionize the head coach position. Not in this era. They cannot be a CEO. Mm-hmm. Now, with that description, I don't know if that means that there are people out there who believe that Herm Edwards is not culpable in this whole thing. Uh, can you play this bite from Herm? This was on a talk show years ago discussing other coaches saying, I didn't know what was going on beneath me as a head coach. When a head coach says, I didn't know, I'm like, no, no, no. That's your job to know. Your name's on this program. The assistant coaches, they come and go. Your name is on the program. That becomes your legacy. All right. Well, Herm, Herm spoke the words. So, DeMond, to your point, what do you want, like a five-year I mean, it's penalty where maybe. He, can't, he can't work in college football for five years? No, no, no. no not, he's never going back to college football. That was well, what if he, what, You know what? What if he did? What if someone came along and, like, you know, Liberty needs a coach? Because the, these are the kind of coaches that Liberty hires are mm-hmm. guys – who have big names, what if they need a coach? And they're like, hey, $2 million a year for Herm Edwards. Should he be able to take it in the next five years? No, two-year ban at least. I, I think it should be longer than that. I especially, I, this timing to me is so gross, and I'm not, it's not just being mad at Herm Edwards, but uh, this is ridiculous. And Jaden Rashada is the guy you're talking about who is a freshman out of, uh, he's from California, right? Because mm-hmm. he bounced to Miami to start with a commit. Then we heard about numbers you know, north of like three or four million dollars to go play at Florida. He finally settles on Arizona State, which I would guess Arizona State came up with some funding and paid a pretty penny in NIL for Jaden Rashada. Do you think they told him at any point along the way, especially before his commitment? Hey, Jaden, you have a chance to compete for the starting quarterback job. Just one thing, we probably won't go to a bowl game because we're going to penalize ourselves. Right? No, I don't think that came up probably at all. It's crap. It is crap. And, and in this era now – where players have more power, if this kid didn't know and committed there, and I don't think he would do it just for the money because I think he had offers all over the country, that's a year lost of going to a bowl game. I don't know if it loses some earning power moving forward. If he plays well, his NIL will be bigger in the future, but I just think it's a lousy, kid, uh, lousy thing to do to a kid. And the other one is Lee Fountaineau, the former UNLV center, who probably could have gone to a lot, a lot of places. He transferred out you know, kind of during the whole Arroyo – Odom switch over. He lands at a what was the Pac-12. It's still the Pac-12. Pac-12 school. And now I think he has at least two years left. He might have a third with COVID. But his clock's ticking. Now this is another year. He doesn't get to play in a bowl game. Mm-hmm. And here's – to take this, like I guess, a step further, the other part that irritates me is we're, we're in a day and age, right, where all these players are just getting destroyed narratively because of the transfer portal and kids that want to work and do all this stuff. And here we have a situation where, again – a guy who is one who is, as you played, shaking his fist at other organizations for the way they've handled things. 
now gets to screw over a bunch of kids, leave with no ramifications, still get to take care of his own, and all the other kids, some of which weren't even there, now have to pay for it. Yep. But, but we're not going to have the same anger for a Herm Edwards as we will for quarterback A who just wanted to leave and go and get a better shot at a starting job. Yep. It's ridiculous. It's pretty lousy. And, you know, you've got Vegas kids on the roster. Arizona State definitely gets fed from Vegas. I mentioned Leaf, the former center for UNLV. So, bowl ban right before the season for Arizona State. And it sounded like in reading some stories today or reading some headlines today, let me be accurate, that uh, the kids were kind of sideswiped and sort of devastated by the whole thing. Because to your point, you worked that hard. I mean, the upcoming football season is – you look forward to that so much, right? Right now, down the stretch, you're like, finally, we can start hitting other people. Yep. Herm's at ESPN right now, right? Yes, he's at ESPN. That's why th- he should have a job, man. Why the ESPN? What credibility does he have to talk about college sports? Oh, be right careful. Now? Well, well, I mean, be careful. I, I mean, there's that. Be but careful. Herm, Herm may be a regular on ESPN radio. Be careful, my friend. Be careful. Well, no, you're speaking your mind. I, I agree. But here's my point. Like a guy like like Pete Thamel, who's now at ESPN, who does some reporting on this one. How do you not, I don't know, ask Herm Edwards about this, have some form or fashion where he is just like talked to or discussed or quoted about this story, right? Your mm-hmm. colleague, mm-hmm. Herm Edwards, mm-hmm. who's the reason why this is happening? Yeah. Like, there's nothing. There's nothing out there about him at all. Do you think anyone will do a piece on him? Or of course not. You think he'll do his own video? Hey, I'm sorry. Right. I screwed over these kids that I coached. The older kids now are screwed. No. No shot. Um, I have to look at the Arizona State roster. How many senior transfers do you think they have? One and done. No. Yeah. Right? UNLV has a bunch of senior transfers. Uh, I'm not saying UNLV is going to make a bowl game, but that's the goal this year. They were 5-7 and seven a year ago. Donovan Lesser, Vincent Davis. Vincent Davis left Pitt. Mm-hmm. Comes here. No shot at a bowl game? If you told him last minute, that'd be pretty crappy. So pretty lousy. And uh, to your point earlier, it's, you know, we, we lecture the kids. The, the casual fan lectures the kids uh, to break down a college football. The coaches and universities started this. Of course they the did. lack of accountability, the disloyalty, they started it. So that's where the kids learned it from, if you even think what the kids are doing is bad. So some interesting efforts over the weekend. Two UNLV opponents met up in Nashville, Vandy and Hawaii. Vandy is getting better, although late in this game, Hawaii, whatever that is, is at 5,500 miles from Honolulu, very competitive in the fourth quarter and uh, fought hard throughout. I'm willing to say it. My guy, Timmy Chang, <laughs> bonded with him when he was out here. That dude's awesome. And, and you wanted to win? Bond, you bonded with him. Yep, that's we, right. We talked about Hawaii and Hawaiian food. That's right. And the Ninth Island and his love for Vegas. The, the, you know the moment where, and like, I, I, first off, Braden, Braden Shaker's awesome. He is great. He is an aggressive quarterback that I don't care if I'm on the road in Nashville. We're taking bumps if they're there. We're going downfield. But why Timmy Chang got, like, outside of the conversation, Steve, that fourth and nine, where they line, they're at midfield, Hawaii is. It's a fourth and nine. You're down by two touchdowns. Now we're going for it. Oh, by the way, we're converting it too. Like it was just such an onions to the wall performance where you really saw a team go out, understand their role as the underdog, but do everything freaking possible to win that game. And the two turnovers ultimately would end up as the difference. But you have a shot going to an SEC team. I don't care if it's Vanderbilt. After what they did to you last year, 
you have a shot on the final drive to go down, score, and either if you want to go for two, right, go for the win, which I kind of thought Timmy Chang was going to do, or at the very least tie it up and give a shot in overtime. That was an awesome performance from Hawaii. Yeah, Hawaii is one of the reasons, along with uh, Nevada and New Mexico, when people ask me, and it's just dozens who ask me, when they ask me about a 5-7 and seven team in UNLV turning the corner this year with a new coaching staff and a lot of new players and getting to six or seven or eight wins, the reason I still hesitate is because the bottom of the conference, and Hawaii beat them last year, so you can't even call it the bottom, but the teams that were you know, perceived to be below UNLV football are all getting better, and Hawaii is getting better. So that's a, that's a good effort, and you mentioned last year's opener was unreal. Yep. How they got battered at home by a Vandy team that wasn't great. By the way, and this is – the dynamic is kind of odd. So I don't know if you noticed this, but uh, our guy Timmy uh, actually went on VEASAN last week. I did. And, and talked about it in reference. Like, yeah, we know. I, I, we see the points spread. Like, we know. Mm-hmm. We know we're 17-point underdogs. And, like, that performance screamed, oh, we know what you guys think. Mm-hmm. And we're coming out there and doing it. I just – I was wildly impressed. The play calling, the aggressiveness, everything. And like you mentioned, like, this is – it speaks to the fact that this is, I think, going to be a little bit more of a challenging Mountain West for the teams that are outside of, we'll call it like the top three, if you want to include like Boise, Fresno State, and Air Force, I think a lot of those teams are, are right, like throw them in a hat and pull one out. They're rated very similarly to one another, and it's going to be hard for those teams that are floating around UNLV's win total to surpass it because a lot of the teams are on your same level. Can some of the teams that are slated or expected to be the best teams, could we see them lose to UNLV, Nevada, Hawaii, New Mexico? Sure. Like pulling upset here or there? I think every single one of them. Like, if you go down the list, Boise State, big reason why they turned it around last year. Taylor Green was good. Dirk Cutter, the guy who was crafting that offense, was better. And Taylor Green got a lot of signs for potential regression as a quarterback, right? High rated turnover really plays, but not a lot of high rated turnovers. Whoa. Fresno State, new starting quarterback, turning over the offense. Tedford's awesome, but still a lot of turnover offensively. Air Force, we know that. Zeke Daniels was awesome. Like, you're, return, you're turning over your roster as well offensively. Like you can find cracks in every single piece of armor for these teams at the top. Sorry, I, I let out a, a hoot while you were doing your I powered an analysis there. Stanford is down to three and a half at Hawaii? Bro, that opened. Wait, for those who don't wait, know. Wait a second. For those who don't know, that offseason number. Maybe a week zero overreaction or not. Well, so here's the thing. So that opened up, for those who don't know, that opened ten and a half. So the market has been steadily kind of moving in that direction. Right. I actually wrote an article about this on Sunday. And when you look at where it was, it was at about it was six and a half before they went. Six and a half, six before they went to Vandy. They put that performance in, and the market just comes in already on Hawaii. So, yeah, it's down to three and a half after opening up ten and a half in the offseason. Uh, lots of NFL coming up today. As you heard in the open, DeMond put together, Josh Jacobs is back, which is a good thing. We'll start to break that down a little bit. But uh, have you been watching the, uh, the cut line? Tomorrow is cut day, but have you been watching some of the transactions? So, former first-round pick of the Raiders, Alex Leatherwood, cut by the Bears and – the Bears' O-line ain't exactly healthy or great. Yeah. What does that say about Al Leatherwood? Well, it doesn't say anything good. Wow. And I can't, man. And going back, I mean, going back, we, I know mean, we've, we've, we're beating a dead horse here. The, yep. horse, the horse is rotted at this point. Some of the first-round picks, my God, of yep. Gruden and Mayock. And I kind of, part of me actually, when I saw the name pop up, I don't know, I'm supposed to be, we're supposed to be sports radio guys, right? We're not supposed to feel bad for these guys. I kind of felt bad. I was like, man, because you're always outside of, like, for the longest time, it was Jamarcus Russell, right? Like, the big number one overall pick bus. And it's not like Leatherwood was the first overall pick. But Leatherwood, I would argue, is probably going to be the face of that Mayock and Gruden regime in terms of what they were viewed as as, as 
evaluators of talent in the draft. And every, everybody is always going to point to him as like the beacon of, see, look, they're failures. They're terrible. Look how bad this guy is. And it kind of sucks that the only reason we're following his story is to keep going back to, holy crap, we're Gruden and terrible they're at so evaluating bad. talent. And the funny thing is, at the time, and you know, listen, I don't go crazy over draft nicks and mock drafts and where guys should be picked, but they consistently pick guys way ahead of where the mocks and other personnel people, by the way, leak you know, where these guys should go. They consistently did that, and they were consistently wrong. Josh Jacobs, a first-round pick, he's been worth it, right? I think there's still people who would argue he's not worth it as a first-round pick, but you can't get much more production than you got at least last year uh, and over the course of uh, three-plus years now from – Josh Jacobs. I uh, want to remind you, one of our sister stations uh, rolling out some new things. 97.1 The Point is uh, doing their hardest working rockers. Uh, the legendary Lark Williams is going to kick things off at noon on Friday. That's 97.1 The Point. Uh, every hour they're going to be playing twofers of classic rock from uh, artists who are playing here in Vegas in the fall. Craig Williams! The legendary, everyone's a legend. Uh, the legendary Craig Williams. Remember, he was a morning show star, megastar in town. Uh, he's going to be on the point at night. And then I'm really excited about this. Yeah, Demo Dave has his cafe vinyl, which is awesome. But 8 to 9 in the morning, where is the offer? Cofield, 8 to 9 on Sunday morning. I'm kind of busy. But they're doing Yacht Rock. Look at the room. No one, no one in here is like, okay, what? That's really cool. Yeah. I. Oh, oh what, my God! What a genre, Damon! You know you love it. Who's your favorite, Ambrosia? You like Ambrosia? Love him. You're lying. I think he's freaking lying. Ninety-seven won the point. Rolling out some new features. Starts up on Friday, but make sure you listen to our sister station. Now back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. studio. That's funny. During the break, I was explaining to uh, John the genre of yacht rock. Yeah, it's it's been around for a little while. Basically, soft rock, but it blew up on uh, satellite radio. Then there's some tribute bands. There's a whole documentary on it. I think on Netflix, a four part documentary. There was like a two summer stretch where my mom was really into going seeing tribute bands at the Silverton. Is that right? Yeah. It was like, and my favorite thing about tribute bands, some of them actually sound like pretty good live, which yeah. is kind of surprising, but it's always the names. Oh, yeah. The names are so good. So punny that has to do with the team. But yeah, I've, I've seen a lot of tribute bands. Is that Yacht Rock? Uh, not not necessarily. I mean, there, oh, okay. there are tribute bands to whatever, Journey or Bon Jovi. No, uh, oh. Yacht Rock kind of covers a whole genre. So uh, like Yachty by Nature would be one of the Yacht Lil Yachty? Rock. Uh, no, I don't think he's no. not yet. I don't think he's ready to no. do yacht rock yet. But yeah, yacht rock uh, an hour on Sunday morning. So I'm glad the point's doing that. We were mentioning I mean, that before the break. I don't have a yacht, so it's probably why I don't. You don't need one. You, this is you dare to dream, right? Yeah. You can act like you have a yacht. You can sit in an apartment on the balcony, and you're like, yeah, wow. I'm just like that guy. All right, I'm gonna look. Out, I'm gonna look into this. You're gonna look into it. I don't know if you're gonna like it. I don't think you're going to like it. Yeah, I'm definitely not gonna like it. I mentioned Ambrosia because Ambrosia plays the uh, Golden Nugget all the time. So we'll get, into, uh, we'll get into a concert I saw this weekend, and then we'll get into uh, John becoming really old and uh, not, oh. not dreaming like, uh, like a young male does, but uh, kind of settling into uh, daddom and home stuff. Home stuff. All right, Josh Jacobs is in. Nothing shocking, right? Bump it up, get some incentives. Uh, now moving forward, I have no idea if there's bitterness on either side. 
Uh, we're going to talk to Adam Hill later on. I don't think by the rules you can do this, but I thought last week, I think he said it on the air about your negotiations with Jacobs and the Raiders. I think Camp Jacobs would have loved to have gotten a guarantee. No tag next year. I'm gone if oh, I want to go. Josh but Jacobs. Call, what did him, I say? call him Cam Jacobs for some reason. Why did I call Cam Brandon yeah. Jacobs? I don't know. Yeah. Uh, but Josh Jacobs, that's what they would like. Like, I'm not going through this again, but those are the rules, you know? Those are the rules. They completely screwed over the players with the stupid double franchise tag, you know, back-to-back years. And then by the time you're going into your seventh year, you may be a free agent. I mean, maybe there's a handshake agreement, but then if you're the Raiders, <laughs> sorry, buddy. Right. I mean, if you're Josh Jacobs, do you trust it? No, of course Who not. knows what their conversations have been like in the past. I, I would doubt that they said, hey, we're going to bring you, we're going to give you a long-term contract. They turned down his fifth-year option. Right. So that was the first message. But uh, we'll see what he does this year. I think if he's healthy, right, he can, do the, he can probably do the same thing as he did last year. I, arguably, their offensive line is better. They were a middle-of-the-pack offensive line last year. Uh, this year, you know, they've had a couple of guys come in and challenge for starting positions. So they could be better this year. I don't know if Jimmy G is as good as Derek Carr. If Jimmy G goes down, I don't know if AOC or Brian Hoyer is going to strike fear into people where they're not going to creep up to the line and play more men in the box to stop Josh Jacobs. But I expect a big year as long as he stays healthy. And you want to talk about max motivation? Or is there a flip side to that, John? In terms of where what? part of the motivation is, you know, any sort of knee tweak, a uh, little hammy, might have to sit out a couple weeks. Got to ensure my future. You're not going to say that last part. No, of course not. But, I, I mean, per selfishly, that's what I would lean toward. Like you mentioned, I mean, you have no, you're have you still not going to have any control. So I would very much – because even if you're going to go the route of like, well, you know, if you, you don't really care, you put your body at risk, and, you know, maybe they don't want you back because of that, and then you'll be a free agent. Yeah, and then nobody's going to pay you. Then nobody's going to want you. So I would think so. I'm, I think it sucks, obviously, with everything going on. I'm also very interested. Can I dare be like not negative, but bring one thing up from week fourteen on? Josh Jacobs was not the same guy. He he did a lot of his production right in those like really strong weeks, right? From like what week six to like week thirteen, somewhere around there. But week fourteen and on, we're talking about three point six yards per attempt, yards per uh, yards after contact per attempt went way down. Wasn't the same dude. Is that the arduous nature of the season? Or is that something that we're going to see moving forward and maybe plays into what the Raiders were thinking in terms of not wanting to pay him on top of being a running back? Do you have the whole game log in front of you? Yeah, I can pull that up in two seconds. We got right. Yeah, well, game 16 and 17. Oh. Right. What do you do in game 16 and 17 when they, they told Derek Carr he wasn't going to play and then Derek Carr elected to go home? Right. 17 attempts, 17 attempts in the last two games of the season. Both. Can't even count that last game. What what he had going on with his dad. It was just a miracle that he even Mm. wanted to play. Don't even count the last game. Well, then we're not worried. Okay. What do you think? What's his production? Definitely not last year, but I'd give him top five in in rushing yards. Okay. So, what was he last year? 17-something? 49? In terms of rushing yards? Yeah. Yeah. 1653. 1653 and over 400 receiving? Mm Mm-hmm. So, he was over 2,000 yards. 1,700 yards? 1,700 yards there. Okay, that's still a great year. My only question is when a guy like that has so much of his production in terms of yards after contact. Yeah. How much, right? You <laughs> yeah, know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. How, how much is that? How much are you going to be able to replicate that the next coming season? I still think he's really, really good. I don't know. I'll go out on a limb and say he doesn't lead the league in rushing. How about that? Okay. 
Maybe we can make a bet out of that. We have we need a lot more bets this year. Sure. We got mine and DeMond's. And I'm willing to stand on my top five for Josh Jacobs. Oh, is that right? Yeah. We could have a second bet. Top five what? Top uh, five in rushing yards. Top five in rushing yards. Oh, okay, okay. Hmm, okay. All right, we might have to set that up. Don't overcommit. There's a lot of chances to bet on the show. Justin Fields, Josh Jacobs, I'll keep them rolling. I, and and, a lot of, and there could be a lot of payouts. I was going to say, what did, we, what did we agree to anyway? Like, what are you paying me when I win? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to come to terms, too. Maybe off the air. I'm just making bets. Yeah. Uh, Treasure Island is the home for ESPN Las Vegas on Fridays and Saturdays. Saturday college football. The uh, kickoff is covered by Lindsay and Magnum on Throw the Flag. That's 9A to 11A. And then we're out there on Fridays getting ready on a football Friday from 3 to 6. On Fridays, they've got their special fish and chips deal with a glass of beer. And you get to keep the glass. And on Saturdays, great prizes with... Chris Chapman and Lindsey Brown. So check it out. Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Got the sportsbook there. If it's not open, you got the 24-7 betting kiosk inside a fantastic setting. The Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar inside Treasure Island. All right, rolling on. First hour of Cofield and Company here on a Monday. Lots to recap from week zero of college football. A lot, lot to look ahead to for week one. A lot more of the lines are up. And then, John, most of the games – that feature an FCS team, mm-hmm. they go up when at most books? Uh, it's usually like Wednesday, Thursday. Okay. Yeah. I think that's probably the day. There's a lot of people waiting on those. Yes. People who are very much into FCS and think there's an edge mm-hmm. because the books can't really set numbers accurately for you know dozens and dozens of FCS teams. We'll see. We're <laughs> missing a lot on the done. board. Yeah. There's a lot missing. Um, can you bet? Are you betting? FIBA World Cup, is it up anywhere? Uh, I've got a couple of futures. I'm not betting day-to-day. Okay. I've got a couple of futures, though. So explain the World Cup to the audience that doesn't know what the hell's going on. Philippines, right? It's the Cup of the World. Uh, yes. So it's, it's, it's the World Cup of basketball. Yeah. So yeah. they're out of the Philippines. They're playing hoops early morning for anybody who's out there. You don't want to watch some basketball at 1 a.m. or 5 a.m. How the crowd's been so far. Jam. Dude. Yep. So this is the thing. I don't think, you know, because we get so hypercentric about America, people in the Philippines Freaking love basketball. Yep. Absolutely love it. Jordan Clarkson, who, for those who don't know, Jordan Clarkson, Utah Jazz legend, former Laker, is on the Philippines national team. He's like a legend out there. I think Brian Windhorst in his last podcast said he could go run for office and win out in the oh, Philippines. We saw Pac-Man do it. Yep. Like he'd be, I feel like he'd be better morally than... <laughs> and with the corruption out there, it wouldn't be hard. <laughs> right. I mean, that's a good point, too. But no, they, they love it. So the crowds have been awesome. The Philippines had like the opening primetime game against the Dominican Republic. So the crowds have been really, really good. And we've gotten some pretty good games and some big upsets. It's, it, there has a, a lot has been going on so far, and it's early on. But, for example, France got eliminated yesterday. Why is that a big deal? Who's on the team? Well, it, the French basketball team is fantastic, but it's nearing its end, at least in terms of its current era. Nick Batum, for those who don't know, the Olympics are in Paris next year. Um, Nick Batum has already said, that's the last hurrah. I'm retiring from basketball after we get done. You know, kind of want to go out on top uh, in, my, in my home. So there's Nick Batum, there's Rudy Gobert, Evan Fournier is still on that team. They have some young pieces there, but the group that has really carried this team to, for those who don't remember, finished as a silver medalist in the Olympics last time out, lost to Team USA. This has been a team that's been really, really good and done a lot. And they went out, they got blown out by a really, really talented Canada team, and then they lost to Latvia. That's a major upset. Latvia does not have Kristaps Porzingis. So they got bounced in the group stage. Didn't even make it out of group play. So it's it's a really like kind of golden age for French basketball that might be on its way out, at least this current iteration of guys. So it was it was it's kind of sad. Germany, Australia? Germany. So 
for those who don't remember, and a lot of people I think will because it was on like a Saturday morning at like 9 a.m., Germany a couple of weeks back really pushed Team USA in a, in a friendly. And a lot of people were kind of freaking out because Germany really wasn't expected to medal. And, you know, it was like a plucky team with some pretty good. The, the Wagner brothers are there. Dennis Schroeder is there. But then they come out the other day. They have a really big win over Team Australia. And Australia is a team that, again, as we know, it's a mix of old guys and young guys, but they have a really good young core led by Josh Giddy and others. Like, that's a really good, really solid Australian team that was at least expected to make it out. And they're not eliminated by any stretch. But team, the German national team was not expected to go undefeated through group play and potentially make it out unscathed. So it's going to be pretty interesting to watch if Germany can do it because they looked really plucky against the Americans two weeks ago. Damon, why would you light up on the mention that the Philippines loves basketball? Because I just know that they do. I have a lot of Filipino friends, and it's just like, yep. oh, no, they love it over there. Yep. Well, there's also, I think it's pretty big in town at certain gyms, there's Filipino, like essentially Filipino leagues. Yes. My which, would, Filipino. which would be perfect for guys who are the size that we're at. They're not big leagues, you know what I'm saying? Like John's too big. You just brought a, a repressed six, memory. Little, I little six foot and under. I'd be a, I'd be a dominant center. I remember you going to Tart, and tall. it was a Filipino league plan. Yep. Yeah. It's massive in the Filipino community. Yep. Hell, we mentioned Pac-Man. Pac-Man fancies himself a you know a decent basketball player. Now he's terrible. Are you sure? Wait, don't we remember the video? Wasn't his terror? Wasn't his jump shot absolutely awful? I don't know. We'll have to review that. Maybe I'm think. Maybe I'm thinking of Connor. I know. I remember Connor. Oh, Connor. Connor McGregor. Is un- Pac- it's unreal. Didn't he play in a league out there? Okay, maybe I'm misremembering. No, I, I, I'm not saying he was good. Perhaps people were just like point. giving him the ole. Well, that's yeah, that's a good <laughs> point too. Like, let me win or else. <laughs> that kind of a thing. Here you go. A lot of layups for Pac-Man. No one ever tries to block him. Uh, all right, Team USA so far. Um, what's going on with AR-15? Austin and, Reeves. Oh, I thought you were talking about Anthony Richardson. No, he's AK-47. What? What's happening? Why are, why are these, why I just are wanna, these nicknames I just, tied to I guns wanna, being mixed up? I just want to throw out these nicknames because oh, okay. uh, everyone hates them now. Oh, okay. Uh, well, Austin Reeves has been freaking awesome. Double AR-15. Okay. <laughs> Austin Reeves has been great. The, look, the Americans I don't think are really in danger. For like Their path is really clear all the way up until they get to the semifinals, where they might run into Canada, who is my selection to win this thing. So I, I think, and I'm hoping, uh, that that's where they get eliminated in the semifinals. But they're going to be able to work out the Kings as they move along. So, you know, slow start against New Zealand, don't cover. Uh, okay, that's fine. Again, kind of a slow start against Greece, but you go on, you blow them out 109-81, you move on. Everything is going well for them, and they have the path to kind of work out the Kings as they move along. One of the toughest like teams on their side of the bracket is the Dominican Republic. You know, things like that, like that's what they're going to have to work out as they move until the semifinals pop up, where they're going to meet, you know, one of Canada, Germany, uh, not France anymore, Australia. That's where it's really going to start to ratchet up. It's why they're such big favorites. And if you notice, I'm having JVT name a lot of the players on the different teams and the different countries, because I think once you hear the names and their NBA ties, oh, yeah. you're like, okay, that's pretty legit. Which brings us to a guy who I don't think pays attention to the NBA. And I understand there is probably a jealousy amongst some of the you know, track and field stars when they see the kind of attention that NBA athletes get in the U.S. Who is this guy, Noah Lyles? Tried to kind of lay into the NBA. And I think we've – I guess you could do this. What do you do with, like, the NFL? Like, world champion? Well, if the rest of the world played American football, then I guess you could – qualified as well they're not playing the rest of the world uh but to lay into the nba as if it's not represented by the world is a little bit weird and i guess this guy got just smashed on social media world champion of what the united states 
You know, the thing that hurts me the most is that I have to watch the NBA Finals and they have world champion on their head. World champion of what? The United States? Don't get me wrong. I, I love the U.S. at times. <laughs> but that ain't the world. That is not the world. We are the world. We have almost every country out here fighting, thriving, putting on their flag to show that they are represented. There ain't no flags in the NBA. <laughs> there aren't. You just went through like seven different countries that have NBA players on the rosters. It's the best league in the world. Well, I don't know, Steve. It's the best league in if, the world. If you, if you look at like, I don't know, like MVP, for example. Joel, no, well, okay. Nikola Jokic, no, okay. Giannis Antetokounmpo, no, okay. Uh, all right, well, I, even though five out of the you know, last five MVP winners have all been European or you know, non-American players, it's, it's still, you know, champion of what? By the way, two things. Back up off the mic. That was one thing. The, the P's were popping really hard. And that was during media availability. I don't know why, but there's nothing more that bugs me. You're there to cover the issue, okay? Don't give him a platform for his terrible stand-up. The joke wasn't that funny. And you just hear like, <laughs> it was brutal. You're comfortable sitting there as a member of the media, just stone-faced? It's like, that's not funny. Yep. That's right. <laughs> why, no. not, why, not, yeah, why not get vocal and just boo or heckle? <laughs> Even that. Boo! <laughs> it was a terrible, <laughs> terrible joke. Your, your take stinks. Uh, three, six, four, eleven hundred. Let's do a giveaway right here. We got two tickets uh, that you can win them before you can buy them. Uh, foreigner tickets are going on sale soon. Uh, feels like the last time farewell tour. It's a residency March 22nd to April 6th. And then uh, in October through November of 2024. But we're going to give you a chance to... Uh, Get two tickets for Farner as they make their final run. Uh, tickets actually do go on sale this Friday, uh, the 1st at 10 a.m. You can grab your own tickets at Ticketmaster.com, but we've got them before. You can buy them. It's Venetian Theater inside the Venetian Resort. It's Farner next March. Chance to call in right now. Damon will hook you up. 364-1100. So Josh Jacobs back in the fold. We think the Raiders are playing for the season, right? And at some point, maybe they pull the plug. Depending on Jimmy G's health. The results early in the season, the schedule's incredibly tough, and that includes a game against the Steelers, which, I don't know, what do you think of the Steelers? Oh, what do I think of the Steelers? The more, this is, this is the one thing in the preseason that has changed my mind. The more I've watched Kenny Pickett, the more I hate to say I'm kind of in. The aggressive throws downfield, the A dot, oh, it's high, Steve. So are my thoughts on what the Pittsburgh Steelers can be. Really, I dude, I don't know why. I like I I dig it. What what? Okay. The, if there is a real change to the offense, is this going to be more aggressive downfield passing attack with one of the best defenses in the NFL, one of the best coaches in the NFL? I hate to say it, I'm getting more and more randy about the Pittsburgh Steelers. All right, you can find uh, this guy up at Carter Critiques. Chris Carter's up with us. Talk a little Steelers as we do another Raiders opponent preview. How are you, sir? How's it going, guys? Thanks for having me on. We're good. Sorry about yakking there before your uh, your spot. So uh, react to what John is saying. Let's start with Kenny Pickett. Where, where do you think Kenny Pickett is now going into his second year? Uh, Kenny Pickett is seeing the field so much better right now. And I think that's the thing to really focus on. A lot of people are going to just point to his stats and say, wow, five drives, five touchdowns, you know, 11 of 13, you know, perfect passer rating, all these other things. But I look at Kenny Pickett, and the thing that I'm most impressed by isn't his results but 
how he's gotten to those results. You look at the, the throws that he's been making, they're not just throws to wide-open guys that just broke open downfield on a play where he scrambled out and they just happened to be open. They've been in time, in sync, in the right spot, in, against the right coverages, all while also looking off coverages in the way that you want them to be as you draw up a play. And that's where Kenny Pickett is truly impressing me as a, as a person who's covered him for years, even stemming back to his time when he played for the Pitt Panthers. And one thing that I'll note is that, you know, a lot of people in Pittsburgh, they don't like Steelers offensive coordinator Matt Canada. They think that he's not that good at what he does. But Matt Canada really didn't call the offense in 2021 when it was Ben Roethlisberger's last year. That was kind of a Ben Roethlisberger offense. And last year, the Steelers, I think, kind of handcuffed him a little bit, saying, hey, just get these guys to protect the football so the defense can, can win games. This year is the first year I think we'll see a real Matt Canada offense. And I think one thing people forget is that Matt Canada, way back when, when he was a coach at the University of Pittsburgh, he was a guy who recruited Kenny Pickett to play for the University of Pittsburgh uh, football team, the Panthers. So there's been a connection there. And I think that they're starting to connect on how the concepts are to work and how Kenny Pickett fits in them. And he's learning how to do things we couldn't see him do last year. Like, if you look at some of the preseason games, the Bills, the teams that they faced, they would throw, they'll disguise their coverages. If you disguise the coverage against Kenny Pickett last year, you would have to kind of scramble and improv with it. Now, he's not even blinking at it. He's like, I know exactly what you're disguising. I've studied your tape, and now I'm going to take, take advantage of it. That's the difference with him here. And now he's got that along with being a lot more accurate. I truly think Kenny Pickett could be in for a pretty big year. So when you take when you say a real Matt Canada offense, you know as I mentioned, the average depth of target for Pickett in this offseason, or this preseason, I should say, is just over ten and a half half yards downfield. He's perfect on throws more than twenty yards downfield. Is that aggressive style what we're going to see a little bit more of? Like, what are some of the changes, or is it just that that Pickett's just reading the field a little bit more, and that those aggressive throws were a symptom of the preseason? Well, I know I think he, he is going to be more aggressive with it. I think it, part of it was you know the preseason they wanted to show certain things. But last year, you saw a lot of safer passes to the flats, trying to put Teddy Pickett in a position where he didn't have to turn the ball over, he didn't have to be too risky. The Steelers didn't use the middle part of the field too much. They also didn't use play action too much. They've used all of that and more in the preseason and throughout training camp. I've been to, I went to Steelers training camp pretty much every day that they had it. And uh, when, when I was there, you, I was just looking at it like, this is different. Like, this is a different offense than what they were calling last year. But when you talk to the players, like, no, it's the same playbook. We're just doing a few different things. And Kenny Pickett's also seen a few, a, a few different things. So a, a lot of it is just his quick maturity, which is what he was being praised for at Pitt. I covered him at Pitt. You know, he was a guy when, you know, similar to Matt Canada, when he was at Pitt, he had an offensive coordinator by the name of Mark Whipple. People didn't like Mark Whipple because he wasn't, the offense wasn't scoring a whole lot of points. But Kenny Pickett was like, hey, we're going to get there. And in his last season, he broke Dan Marino's records. He broke Sean Watson's records. He was going off because he was finally putting it all together. And I think that's what he just needed to do for the Steelers to start to see the offense and have a, a full offense with a, with a complete offensive line and several different receiving weapons that could get him to exploit the best parts of this offense. And I think that's what they're going to be able to do this season. So on, on top of it, right, we always focus on quarterbacks, but I, the more I've watched them, the more I've really come around on these skill position players for the Pittsburgh Steelers. What is the expectations for a guy like George Pickens, uh, who, of course, everybody is really excited about that connection with him and Pickett? You know, I, I really think with the way Kenny Pickett has risen, it's given George Pickens, I think he has a platform to maybe put himself in the conversation to be one of the best, best 10 wide receivers in the NFL this season. 
and I, I don't think that's a stretch to say so. George Pickens last year was a guy who would just find the most ridiculous ways to win combat catches. Just go up in, in situations and pull them down, and you're like, wow, how did he do that? But now, like the one thing he didn't do too well last year was he didn't, you know, his routes weren't crisp enough. He didn't get a lot of separation, which didn't let him get more yards after the catch. And he's still not, you know, he's not Deontay Johnson. This is Deontay Johnson. He's a very good route runner. But uh, he is getting sharper at that. He's learned how to beat the press. He's learned how to get out of his release a lot better uh, and how to get into his routes a lot sharper. And so now he's taking less steps to get where he wants to go. He still has the combat catchability, but now he's going to be more dangerous in the open field and getting to the open field as a receiver. And that's why I think George Pickens, he is going to have a huge year for the Steelers. If, if you're a fantasy owner out there and you haven't done your draft yet, George Pickens will be a guy I'd have my eye on in the middle round just because I think that he could really explode with touchdowns and big places. Chris Carter's with us, Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, where you can find the work. So let's focus on the other side really quickly, defensively. Uh, I mean, I, am I wrong to think that this thing could be like a top-five unit? That I, I look at almost every position. I find it hard to find a weakness for this team defensively. Uh, I think you're right on point there. As long as there's no injuries, this should be a, a top-five defensive unit. Uh, especially with T.J. Watt back, and he looks, uh, you know, there was a, it's a, I'll tell you a funny story. Uh, during training camp, you know, the early parts of training camp, I, you know, T.J. Watt wasn't crushing everyone like he normally does in training camp. And I was like, huh, are they holding him back? Is he kind of like just chilling, or is he just not the same since his injury? And so I said that on the North Shore Drive podcast from the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette, and, like, literally that day at practice, I see him on the field, and, like, they're getting ready to do 11-on-11 in full pads, and he's, like, looking in my direction. And I'm looking around, like, is he looking at me? I don't know. And then the next three plays, he utterly demolished the entire offensive line. He's just like, move out of the way. That's my tackle. He's, and eventually, my Tomlin stops practice. He's like, guys, guys, can we please, please block T.J. Watt? <laughs> and so it was, it was that's just who he is. He just he destroys everything in his past. He's going to be back at full strength. And he's surrounded by a great complement of uh, a complimentary task. Alex Heisman, 14 and a half sacks last year. Cam Hayward, a first-team All-Pro interior defensive lineman. And uh, Nick Herbig has been great in, in, in preseason as a backup edge rusher. But you also have Mika Fitzpatrick, the best safety in football. Patrick Peterson, Levi Wallace, and Joey Porter Jr. are really solid, stable of, uh, of, safe, of corners right there. Yeah, DeMonte KZ, another good safety along with Keanu Neal. Uh, the linebackers, I think, have looked good in preseason. This defense does have the makings to be a top-five defense, and that's why I think the Steelers, when you look at the rise that they can take on offense with the rise of Kenny Pickett along with where this defense should be just on paper, this team has a chance to be a real dark horse in the AFC. Chris, we appreciate a couple minutes today. We definitely want to reach out to you before that Week 3 game, so we'll be talking to you soon, hopefully. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime. Nine is the win total. Where are you going? Uh, I think that's right on. I probably, I mean, where do we land on the over? 115. Anything? 115? Yeah. I, mean, I guess I'd lean a little under only because I think nine is probably like the season for him. But you hit, he hit it on the head. I mean, we talk about like dark horses. The defense is so good. It's going to be. It's going to at least bring teams down to their level. They're going to be pretty live week one, tell you that much. Five seconds left. Who's the worst team in the AFC North? Because they are the lowest odds to win the division, a plus 475 worst team. It might be them. Amazing, right? Yep.